First John, um, title, Allegiance to One. Does anyone know what the word allegiance means? Anyone give me, yeah. What was that? Formed together. Formed together, okay. That's a, that's a way of putting it, yep. An alliance, yeah, okay. A what? Okay, a line between two forces, right? Uh, what, what comes to mind when you think of the word allegiance? Maybe a certain, yeah, pledge of allegiance, right? And you were pledging allegiance, you know, to, uh, to America in that way to be, uh, you know, whatever the pledge of allegiance says. But, the, right, the allegiance, it means loyalty or commitment to someone or something. And at the end of the day, you can't have two alliances. You can't have two allegiances, maybe with some things, uh, but there's, there comes a point where you have to pick, right? Say with sports teams, maybe you're watching, you're like, I love these two teams. They, I love both these two teams in the NFL or NHL for those, ho- any hockey people? They're, they're a rare breed, okay, some, okay, for sure. Uh, baseball, or whatever the sport might be. You might say you love those two teams, but if they play against each other, you gotta root for one. It, it comes down to it where you're gonna have to, you know, pick a side. And, uh, or with, uh, the same is true with countries. You can't, maybe you're, you have citizenship, citizenships in two different countries, uh, but at the end of the day, if they went to war against each other, you'd have to kind of uh, pick that side. Uh, the idea of pledging allegiance to someone or something is that when you do that, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to be loyal and committed to this, by just that statement, that declaration, it's opposing all else, right? When you say you have a favorite team or whatever that might be. And today, uh, we're going to see that these two options that we have, whether it's going to be allegiance to the world uh, or allegiance to the Lord. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying our study in First John. I know I've been uh, just studying it. There's been some really uh, cool things. I know God's been ministering to me. Um, and, and we've hit some big topics already within this series on First on John, whether it's fellowship or sin um, or uh, love, and, and he's just really getting started. He has got a lot more to say, and uh, we're going to find ourselves today in chapter 2. Uh, this is the big idea uh, of the text today, and it's this. There is a very real pull from this world for this world, but as Christian, we have what it takes uh, to overcome. And we're going to kind of peel this apart and look into all of what this means. But don't miss that there is a pull from this world and it's pulling us f- that we would be for the world. Uh, but as Christians, God has given us all we need uh, to be able to re- resist the temptation uh, to look like everyone else. And we'll look at everything uh, this means today. So, First John, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17, and then we'll pray. You guys there? First John? All right, you can uh, follow along with me. The Bible says here, John goes on and he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now, when he's saying this, he's kind of addressing certain uh, people within the church. When he says little children... Uh, he's talking about all, ev- everyone. Everyone's kind of included. Uh, he's not just saying, okay, just read this for the children's ministry. Um, he, he has this fatherly uh, endearment towards them. But when he says fathers, or what we're going to see, young men, he's speaking to younger and older 
uh, a people. And so it says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. And then verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. God, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that you would teach us now, that you would give us wisdom, and uh, just that we would have a greater understanding of how the world works that we live in, that we would see clearly, that we would not be blinded uh, by our flesh or by the ways of this world, but that we would see clearly what you desire from us, and you'd help us to be obedient to that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, in this text, if you were following along, there is one particular word that popped up uh, an abnormal amount of times. Does anyone want to take a stab at it? Yes. Okay, yes, that is, that is true. I'm looking for another one that starts with the W. Yeah. World. Uh, world is really, that is one of the biggest ideas or themes within uh, this text and so we're going to look at, just our, as a way of kind of a long introduction, we're going to look at this idea of the world. Uh, the Bible speaks about the world quite often and in different ways for different reasons. And depending on the context, the author in the Bible could be talking about the world in three different ways. Uh, the first one when, whenever you see the word world in the Bible, uh, it could be talking about the physical world, creation, what God has created, earth, right? Uh, literally rocks and water and, and the different elements of the world, uh, creation, uh, what you and I live in, and, um, and it could be talking about that. Uh, or secondly, it could be talking about the population of the world, the people contained in the world, um, or thirdly, it could be talking about the philosophies of the world, the way that the world works. And if you notice these three, and you want to keep kind of this in your back pocket for when you read the Bible on your own or you hear studies, uh, because it's important. Uh, we are to enjoy the physical world that God's given us. God, uh, even for Adam and Eve before the fall, they, he gave them dominion. He wanted them to enjoy, to fill the earth and multiply. It was a good thing. And, and we're to enjoy a creation in that way. And secondly, um, you know, the population of the world, we think about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And that's what he's talking about, that God loved the world, meaning the population. He loved people and he loves people and he loves mankind. And so, right, he did that thing. And, and in the similar way, you and I are also to love the people in the world because our God does and we're to be like him. But the third one is exactly what John is talking about here and what you and I need to be aware of and be careful of is the philosophies of the world, which is like, what is a philosophy? Uh, well, hopefully I can explain that to you in a moment. So the, world, the, the word world here in the Greek is the word cosmos. Uh, maybe you can think about 
um, you know, a, a word similar to that or know the meaning. It's specifically here talking about the world system, meaning in general, the way that the world works, the beliefs, the values, the systems, which of course uh, vary, uh, but to say the least that these values and this system is completely distinctly different from God and what he wants. Don't know why that keeps happening. Hopefully it stops. Um, Satan, rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus. All right. Um, and so this idea of this world, it's the ways of the world. It's, it's how the world works. It's the attitude and the values that it has. It's another way to put it would be that there is, other than the people and the, the physical world, that there is an invisible spiritual system that is against God that is present in the, in the world that you and I live in. Uh, and let, me, let me try to explain it to you guys this way. Uh, what do you guys, what, what hobbies do you guys have? Give me some. Video games, okay? Baseball. Baseball, yes. Cycling, yes. Okay, so I don't cycle, right? I like bicycling, but it's just not something I usually do. I'm not, I, this is not me. Um, I actually don't. It kind of hurts your butt after a long time. I guess you have to, you know, uh, I, I guess that you have to, it takes a while for that to go away. But I don't understand anything about the cycling world, right? But I would refer to, I'd be like, oh man, I don't know anything about, right, the cycling world. It's not that there's like this extra earth that has only people that love bicycles and they race on it. No, I'm talking about that there's this attitude, there's this, this kind of um, system that people, that people are a part of, or whether it's baseball or uh, uh, any kind of other thing. Maybe horses is your thing. And uh, there's that its own little world, meaning maybe you know about it and you know the ideas and, and that's cool. Well, in, in a similar way that there is a, a system, there is a spiritual uh, idea that is behind a lot of the things that you and I see. And, and it's what you and I refer to as the world, okay? Uh, John goes on in, in chapter three and he, and he mentions the word world again. In verse one, he says, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Then it says in verse 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now what it's talking about, it's not saying that every single person in the world is going to hate you uh, or that the physical world is going to hate you, that rocks all of a sudden are going to just be throwing themselves at you. That's not going to happen, uh, but it's, the, it's those who are in the way of the world, okay? And I'm sure you've heard it. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this uh, quite often, this idea of, oh man, you know, stay away from the ways of the world. What does that really even mean? Well, it, it, it is this. It's the reality is that when we say the world in this way, and when John says, do not love the world, it is, it is the world that is under Satan's rule. And that is the world that you and I live in. First John 5, 19, he would go on in chapter five. We'll get there in uh, a little while. Um, but he says this, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the sway or the rule of the wicked one. And then again, in John 12, verse 31 says, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's speaking about Satan. And so over this invisible spiritual system, 
uh, Satan is, is the lead. He is the rule. And so this is kind of what we're talking about here. You see, you and I, we are members of the human race. So we're part of that population. We are, um, we are, we live in the physical world, right? But where it should differ for you and I as Christians is that we don't go along with way, the way that non-believers would think and live and act. And we'll look at exactly specifically what that is. Philippians 3.20 tells us that you and I, that our citizenship, our first allegiance is to heaven. It is to the kingdom of God that this world that we live in is not our home. That we, though we're here, we live by different standards. We have different values, different beliefs than someone who we would say is under the world. And now they, people that are in the world, meaning non-believers, and uh, they might be a part of another religion. Maybe they're atheists, whatever it might be. They might not think that they're a part of Satan's ruling system, but they are. Anyone that is not a believer, follower in Jesus Christ is now, they are now classified and they're falling into and going uh, down a path that is, that Satan would prefer and a system that he's created. And that's the world that you and I live in. Uh, I really think this, this helped me in kind of understanding this. Uh, it's John 17, and it's when Jesus is praying to God about the disciples before he goes on the cross. And notice this. This was super helpful for me. To, okay, like I, I get this idea now. Jesus is praying about his disciples, and he says this, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not, notice, of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And this is God's role in our life as we live in this world, that it's under the sway of the wicked one. But even Jesus's desire was not that God would take us out of the world. We're supposed to be and it's the cliche, but it's, it's biblical, that we are to be in this world, just not of it. We are to be, um, and maybe you've seen the brand, right? Not, not of this world. Maybe you have a t-shirt. It's not as big anymore. Uh, maybe you have a, your parents have a bumper sticker. Uh, but the reality is when, it, when we say that we're not to be of this world, it means that we are to be distinctly different than a non-believer, that we are to have different goals, that we are to act differently, and to the world, it's going to be odd. To people who are non-believers, the things that we do, the fact that you guys give up one day of your weekend, which is only a two Saturday and Sunday, you give up part of your day to come to church, to worship, and to the world, that's weird. They want to sleep in. Well, you guys are noon service, so you get to sleep in a little bit. But you know, you know what I mean? That they want to, what they would say, enjoy their weekend. It's because you and I, we think differently. We are different. And we are to act that way. And so this is, that was just a long introduction to get into verses. We're first going to look at verses 15 through 17. And it's that, what we had just read, and it's going to be the reality of the world. So we looked at the idea of the world. That's what it means. Uh, he's talking about that, that third one, the philosophies, the system. Does that make sense? Anyone like confused on that? Okay. 
So this is the reality of the world and the command that he gives us. I want to read to you in uh, the J.B. Phillips translation. Um, and this is a kind of a cool translation that I would encourage you to check out. I just learned about it a little bit more this week. Uh, J.B. Phillips was a guy who lived uh, during the World War II time uh, somewhere in Europe. And he had some youth groups that he was uh, a part of in teaching uh, in underground bunkers during kind of the, the war time. And at that time, he wanted to uh, seek to give a, a New Testament translation uh, that was a little bit more in modern day English. Now, obviously, this was during World War II, so it's not as modern day as 2019, uh, but there are some very helpful insights, and it's all accurate. Uh, that this translation, uh, from, from my knowledge, is, is trusted, that he, he had a good understanding of the original language. So uh, you could, maybe you're reading something at home, and you're like, I don't understand this at all. Sometimes it's good to look in a different type of translation than the Bible that you have, which translations can be confusing. But you can always go on something called BibleGateway.com and even look up this translation or uh, different ones that could be helpful. There's also helpful the amplified version of the Bible, but that's just a little, uh, little free piece of advice for you. But this is what he says, uh, how he translates this in uh, more modern day English. And he says this, never give your hearts to this world or to any of the things in it. A man cannot love the father and love the world at the same time. For the whole world system, based as it is on man's men's primitive desires, their greedy ambitions, and the glamour of all that they think splendid is not derived from the Father at all, but from the world itself. The world and all its passionate desires will one day disappear, but the man who is following God's will is part of the permanent and cannot die. That the command is crystal clear that we are not to give our hearts to this, the, the, the ways and the systems of the world, that way of thinking. That we are not to love the world or to love the things, right, material possessions of the world. Now, there are material things that I enjoy and I like, but when it starts to become dangerous is when you start to love those things or to begin to walk in to the, the, the way that the world Thanks, whatever that might be. The word love, uh, it, it means to have great affection and loyalty towards. And the world wants this. Under, of course, the, the rule of Satan, everything that is worldly is going to draw your attention. And it, it will want your affection and it will want your attention. But the Bible clearly says, if you look at verse 15, that if someone loves the world in this way or the things in the world, then it shows that the love of the Father is not in him. Another way to put it is that the love of this world squeezes out the love of the Father. And it's not talking about God's love towards you, but it's talking about your love towards God. See, Satan is smart and he knows how we work and he knows how we think. And so he might not be able to there's some things that, of course, he's not able to do, but if he can get our attention and our affection on something other than God, his, he's done good that day. And how often do we fall, fall into this? Um, 
James tells us, James 4.4 4 says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It means enemies. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's because what the world represents is completely opposite of what God wants. Whether the pursuit of, you know, usually the, the world philosophies is all about self. That's one of the, the best ways to kind of determine, okay, is, is this worldly? It's all about you. Um, and we'll see that in, clearly in verse uh, 16 in a moment. Romans 12, 2 also says, and do not be conformed to this world. It's that same, same kind of idea. The word conformed here in Romans, it means to be uh, molded or shaped into a certain image whether it's uh, maybe you've played with Play-Doh before and they have those different molds for the Um, Play-Doh. It's that, it's to be stuffed in and and to then kind of be refashioned and look like something even different than what the, it it really should be. Um, And we're not to be conformed in that way. Matthew 6, 24 tells us, Jesus says very clearly, very simply, no one can serve two masters. You can't. There's only, we can only have allegiance to one. That for he will either hate the one or love the other or else he will be loyal to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or another word is possessions or money. Remember, allegiance to one clearly declares opposition to the other. And so does your life look distinctly different then maybe friends or family you know that's a non-believer. There should be some aspect. There should be some difference in goals in the way that you think. Of course, there's going to be similarities. Because think about it. The reality is, is that we're humans, just like our non-believing family and friends and people that we know are. And so we're still going to wear clothes like they do, right? We're still going to eat food, celebrate holidays. But that the reality is, is that there should be something different. Our goals should be entirely different than theirs. And there's something off if there is not. There's something off there. And we see this incompatibility between the world and God in verse 16. Uh, Verse 16 is the reasons why these two things don't work together. That these are the, the reason it shows the opposition. Look at verse 16. He describes three things that Satan uses to pull us into a worldly way of thinking opposite of God. Uh, Satan is not dumb and he knows. And if you were to boil all temptation down into three points, it would be these. Uh, Number one, the lust of the flesh. This is that uh, craving for for sin and self-indulgence. It's a, the, the, the word lust here is almost always translated in a negative sense. And it's for self gratification. Uh, whether that is something like, um, whether that's the, a sexual aspect to it uh, and anything in between, uh, whether that is the, just the pursuit of, of um, selfishness, um, it's something that it is the, the lust of the flesh. It's something that our physical body wants, and Satan uses this. And, and he says here, he says, this is all that's in the world. This is what is summed up. Second thing, the lust of the eyes. And oh man, do you and I live in a culture today, which it's been going on for thousands of years now, but that 
the amount of things that try to draw us away by sight is, is abnormal, whether the movies we watch or the things on billboards or whatever it might be, that there's this drawing, and, and, and even Jesus said, right, that, that the eye is the lamp of the body, that we need to be careful what we see, whether it's good or bad, because if we see bad things, then it, our whole body becomes bad, that Jesus would describe that our eyes are the window into our soul, uh, that it affects us very much so, and Satan knows that. The third thing is the pride of life. This is the, honestly the most interesting one to me. The, second, the, the first two are like, oh yeah, totally, like, that completely makes sense. Uh, but the pride of life is, is that idea about bragging or boasting about what you have. It's what one possesses. It's this idea of, of self-exaltation, that, that you want to be superior to other people. And we have that, whether in small ways or big ways, that we want to be better than. And that's our sin nature, and he preys on that. Um, and, it's, and it's interesting to me, one of, the, one of the biggest parallels to these three things uh, is what uh, Adam and Eve struggled with in the garden and was tempted with. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, uh, interestingly enough that these three things appear uh, in that first human sin, uh, and they go parallel very nicely. Now, uh, it's impossible at this point to know if John had this verse in, in mind and he was thinking about it, uh, but, or if it's just how good the Holy Spirit is at connecting in the uh, unity of the Bible. But look for these three things, okay? So the Bible says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She was pulled. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And there's those, there are the three things, that it was uh, you know, good for food. It was going uh, to taste good to the body. It, it, it appeared that way. And that there's something pleasant about it. I don't know if it was like a spark, you know, if the, whether it was an apple, it was like sparkly or something. Uh, maybe it like glowed off the tree. We don't know. Uh, but it was both of those things. And, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise. And you think about even Satan talking with Eve, if you can remember back to the story. And he says, you know, God doesn't just want you to eat of the tree uh, because not because it's bad for you, but because he doesn't want you to become like him, that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will have the same kind of wisdom and knowledge that God has. And it was, of course, a lie, uh, but this was a draw for her, and she eventually took it and her husband as well. And there's just this, this, this parallel. And this, these are the three, these are important for us to know, because this is how... Uh, Satan will work to draw us away. Remember, it's that pull. There's going to be that pull in our life. And it's what the life of the unbeliever is about. Think about it. It's about, so it doesn't mean that uh, a non-believer can't do good things, uh, but that for the most part, that their life is lived in these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the, of the eyes, and the pride of life. That it's it's usually all just about self, and, and that is the goal. 
And we see, though, that these things are passing, that this does not last forever. Look at verse 17. Uh, he says in 1 John verse, chapter 2, verse 17, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, and he who does the will of God abides forever. And it kind of gives us not only the description of what the world is all about, but also shows us the, an insight into where the world is going, this way of thinking and where it leads. Uh, it's clearly evil and it's passing. It means that it will vanish, that it won't be around forever. If you can remember last week, chapter two, look in your Bibles, verse eight, it says that the darkness is passing away. Guys, sin has its end. That Satan has his appointment for judgment and God will deal with it. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 31 says, for the form of this world is passing away. It's the, the nature in which the world works is, the Bible states very clearly, is passing away. And so same too, when someone were to go in that way and live their life by the world's ways, that it ends it, it, it does end, that there is an ending to it, and it's not a good one. But in contrary, for the one that does the will of the Lord and lives for the Lord, not for self, uh, that there is an eternal value to that. But this is, this is difficult for you and I because we live here now, and we can't see heaven. There's uh, a lot of sin, all sin, preys on our senses, right, what we can touch or see or feel or whatever it might be. And so it's difficult uh, to think about heaven and to think about eternity uh, because we're not there. And, 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 and it's hard for us to imagine that. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's amazing. Everything that you see with your eyes now, there is an end to it. And so that's why it is wise to not love the world, to not let that be the focus. You see, there are good things uh, that, that we do that are worldly, that would fall under the category of physical things. You see, some people take this so far where they just, you know, that's why monks kind of go up into the mountains and anything material is bad. Sometimes this kind of doctrine can form into that. Uh, but that's not, that's not accurate. It's our motive and our heart and how we treat that thing. Hey, so, for example, a, I want you to write this down. I don't know how you want to. Um, I guess you could just write it, but it's kind of long. So a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Okay, so a good desire becomes a bad desire when it becomes a ruling desire. And that's why there's a lot of good things that start good and they turn into worldly pursuits because now it, it has become chief and captain over our lives. And that's what the world wants to do. It wants to take good things, and this is what Satan does. He manipulates and he twists good godly things that God has designed for good, say marriage, he's designed marriage for, for good, and, and sex is good, but Satan perverts it, he twists it, or whatever it might be. He, he's done so many things, and this is how he works. And so, um, and we're to be aware of this. 
we're to have an undivided allegiance focused on the Lord. And when things become worldly, when they become ruling, because that, then that means God has to step off the throne of our lives and that thing steps on. I mean, that includes, I mean, that can include people's careers, that can include sports, that can include uh, good things. Um, does that make sense? Following? Yes? Okay. Uh, third and finally, um, we looked at the idea of the world, we looked at the reality of it and, and how it works and what Satan uses. Uh, and I want to end on this point, is that you and I have the ability to overcome the world. That at times it can seem difficult and dark and realize, oh man, you know, it seems like everywhere we turn, there's this temptation or there's this draw to be uh, focused on the worldly things and not heavenly things. And you will feel that, and that will only intensify as you get older. It just does. It's a reality. You'll have more freedom. You'll have more self-choice. And it is difficult uh, if you're not close with Jesus, and it's difficult anyway, uh, to, to walk the walk and to walk the way that Jesus would want. But you and I, we have everything we need. God has supplied to us everything we need to live an uncompromised life. It's awesome. Uh, but a lot of us don't access those things. We have them, but we don't access them. We skipped over it to get into verses 15 through 17. We read it when we first started, um, and that's that first part. It's kind of an introduction into the command we just looked at. Um, if you notice in your Bibles, it's going to be laid out a little bit different, um, at least mine is, where, you know, it's kind of, it depends on your Bible, but it'll be kind of a paragraph form, but then this might look a little bit different. Um, it's poetical in nature, uh, that there's, there's some repetition there, uh, and John kind of takes this moment to pause to remind us and the believers he was writing to um, about some things that they have in Christ, some simple but powerful uh, truths. He he mentions the little children twice. He mentions younger men twice and fathers. And it can be kind of difficult to understand. Uh, but what he's basically doing is he's pausing and he's reminding everyone of the simple truth. If you notice for the little children, he, he talks about how your, your sins are forgiven. That's awesome. Uh, we, we're not going to get into that because there's something specific I want to get to here uh, that we just won't have time for. But then he, he breaks up the, the younger men and the fathers. This is basically, he's, it's not just men alone. Like ladies, it's not like you want to just close your Bibles now. Um, but oftentimes, you know, you think about the concept of mankind. It's not just talking about men. It's talking about women too. And so for here, he basically starts to address older men or older people and younger people. Uh, not necessarily maturity wise, but just literal age. And what I want to focus on today is because of where you and I are at, because I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in your category. Uh, we are on the younger side of things. Um, I want to show you what he says to the younger. In verse 13, he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then again in verse 14, he says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Notice that the, it is past tense. Notice that he says you have overcome the wicked one. 
And what I believe that God wants you to hear today is that you have the victory in Jesus. You are an overcomer. I know it sounds cheesy, uh, but the Bible says that in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. That the access that you have in Jesus is the ability not to go in the way of the world. There's only one thing that will, that pull of the world is too strong. You will not make it without Jesus. You will not make it without accessing what you have in Christ. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. That God has given us the power for everything you need to live a godly life, you have it. You don't need to go to the store. You don't need to buy it on Amazon. You have it in you. But I believe a lot of you today, you're not accessing that power. You are not living in a way that is close with Jesus. You're not in your Bibles. You're not reading. You're not really praying. You're not seeking the Lord. And so you look like the world. And and this is a temptation for a lot of the body of Christ, that when that's not happening, you are not going to have the tools and the abilities, and so you're just naturally going to fall into the path that Satan would want you to go down. You see, if Satan can't get you to hell, then he's going to try to minimize you here. He's going to try to make you as worldly, as worldly of a Christian as possible for you just to blend in and look like everyone else. You see, because when you look different from everyone else, not in the way you dress, not in the way you, you know, uh, do your hair, but I'm talking about attitude and action, goals and values you have, you stand out. You just do. Whether you guys go to public school, if you stand for Jesus, like for real, you will stand out. When you guys get a job later in life in, in any kind of secular way, if you, just, if you just are close with Jesus, you're going to stand out. There's going to be something different. You are not from, you are from this world, but you are not of this world. I mean that this is not home. And at times, if you're doing it right and you're walking with Jesus, if you're in a secular setting, meaning not church, then at times you're going to feel like an alien, like a legit alien, because you kind of are. You're a foreigner. You are in, this is not your home that you are different, that the way you think is different because you're a believer, and that should show. And that's good. That is a very good thing. And Jesus says that he overcame the world. John 16, says this, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus did it. He was able to be here, live a life, and be perfect. He was able to live this sinless life, not tainted or spotted by the world. John will go on later in 1 John chapter 4 and chapter 5, and he'll say this in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, you are of God, little children. He refers to them in that way again. He says, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's an awesome truth. But today, does your life look like an overcomer? Does it look like you have conquered? Does it look like you have triumphed? There's a lot of believers, unfortunately, that live a life that just of mediocrity. You just 
you, don't, you just blend in with everyone else. We are to look different. Not be weird, right? We're not to purposely like be uh, freakish, uh, but that by nature, our attitude that we, we should, there should be something distinctly different. And so as believers, because of Jesus in us, we have what it takes not to be drawn away and lured into the world's schemes. Maybe at times we can get distracted, but God's able to keep us from stumbling. But that's only in relation to our relationship with him. And so for the Christian, we're not immune from temptation, uh, but the reality is that God has defeated sin on our behalf. He's already won the fight for us. Uh, but sometimes we, we don't realize that or we don't walk in that. And so the big idea of the text once more is this, that there is a very real pull from this world for this world, but as Christians, we have what it takes to overcome. I just want you guys to think for a moment and I want you to examine your life. I want you to, what I like to call, I want you to take inventory. Do you, you know what it means to take inventory? Okay, you might have a job one day and you might work at like a grocery store and they're like, hey, hey we need to check inventory today. And they might say, okay, how many, you know, how many, I don't know, cans of corn do we have or, I don't know, Anthony works at Trader Joe's. Uh, and you might have to, you know, stock and, and realize, and, okay, you see, and see what you have and see if this is matching up with what you're selling and you're taking inventory. And I want you to do that just in your life right now. I want you to think about your goals and what you want in life and maybe just the way that you live and how other people perceive you. Is it worldly or is it heavenly minded? You t- you see, as I said before, to some extent, you and I are going to look like everyone else. Right? We're going to wear clothes, we're going to eat food, we're going to enjoy the holidays, we're going to, you know, we're, we're still people. But is God able to use us because we're distinct? When we share with other people, can they see that there's something different? They should. And if there's not, that's when you need to, okay, where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? And so, I don't know, that's, that's the question for today that I want you just to kind of think and, and meditate on. Any questions? Comments? Okay. Can I pray for you? Okay, Father, we just come before you, and I just pray that you'd give us strength, Lord, that you would uh, put in us, Lord, and, and help us in a day-to-day, Lord, to live for you. I pray for these students, those that feel that pull, and maybe they've given in to that pull, and they've given in to temptation. And God, I pray that you would renew them. Lord, you have, you have the victory. And that past tense, Lord, we have overcome the wicked one. That you have made us strong, The word of God abides in us. And I just pray that you would help us to access that, that we'd be close with you and you would, we wouldn't have to try to be different. It'd be a natural result of spending time with you and that you would use us, Lord, that you'd use us in the lives of those around us. And Lord, if anyone of us are on the borderline of of We don't love the world yet, but we're liking it a little too much. Lord, would you warn us and 
would we not get caught up in the, just the, the busyness of life and the, that we miss what you have for us day to day? God, we look to you now and, and thank you for your word and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.